Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Mark. We're just going to pick up where we were. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What changes the way you think is the information you allow to come into your life and into your heart. And if you surround yourself with things that are not of God, friends, I guarantee you, you are going to make the wrong decisions in life. That's just the way it is. How do you keep from repeating the same mistakes that you made before? Well, you learn from your mistakes, as the old saying goes. But you know, I'm amazed how many times we don't really learn from our mistakes. In fact, oftentimes, we'll not only repeat it, we'll do it again and again and again. Well, the Bible has some great wisdom for us here that we would not do those things, that we would, you might say, replace the falsisms that we have believed in, which cause us to make wrong choices, which led our life down the wrong path. And we say, okay, God, I'm going to equip my heart with your word, and that way I'll make the right choices, and then at the end of my life I'll be happy and I'll be um, pleasing to you. And that's, friends, what we really look for in our lives. So let's just pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word together. And so we ask you now that as we would read these words, that God, that they would come alive in our heart. Lord, that we would understand the importance to know your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's something that I would challenge all of you to do. Know God's word. Because, you know, the Bible says there's going to be a famine, not for food, not for water, but for the Word of God. And so we understand that there is a tremendous lack of biblical understanding uh, in the church today and in the world today. And that's what really goes back to uh, what God expects out of us rather than what man expects. You'll find a lot of people say, well, what do you feel about abortion? What do you feel about uh, politics? What do you feel about right and wrong? Is that really a, a black and white issue? Well, friends, according to the Word of God, it is. These are not things that are known. These are not things that are, we might say, left up to our own personal interpretation. And I found oftentimes when my personal feelings don't line up with the Word of God, guess who's wrong? Me. And that same can be said for you or anybody else you know. I've had people say, well, I just couldn't believe in a Bible where God would, and I've had people say that to me, where God would do this particular thing or that. Well, then you're interpreting the Bible from your own perspective. And therefore, you're limiting yourself to your only, the only perspective you have is your own. And therefore, you're going to make the mistake. So really, God's word is written. It says, uh, thy word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, it's impossible that if you sin against God that you yourself are not hurt. So that's why God doesn't want you to not know what his word says, because it's for your ultimate good that's going to protect you. Now, we also know this, that in this world, because we love God... Because you are used by the King of Kings, that um, fruit is evident in your life. And by the way, friends, that just drives people around you crazy. (laughs) It just does. Because, you see, that's the standard. That's how Jesus actually said, you can tell if somebody really is on my team or not by their fruits. It's not by how much they say, oh, praise you, Jesus, hallelujah. It's what fruit is in your life. That's what Jesus always has said is the, is the benchmark. And it's really amazing to me because 
um, fruit is something that uh, is really to nourish others. Now, now, generally, I've never seen an apple tree or a fruit tree of any kind uh, grow ripe apples or plums or whatever and then devour its own fruit. It doesn't happen. The fruit is for others. Always remember that. And so people are nourished then by the fruit that comes out of your life, brought closer to the kingdom of God and strengthened. Now, uh, this is an important principle because Jesus said that we need to examine our fruit. And that's, uh, as Jesus said, you, you also have to remember that this is how you know whether somebody is really of God or not. There's a lot of people who claim to be fruit trees that aren't fruit trees. Uh, and so always examine that. And you'll find something else that's pretty amazing is those that have fruit in their life are always attacked by those who don't. Just goes on and on without saying. Uh, and I, I believe part of it might be jealousy. I believe part of it might be uh, trying to cover their own inadequacies. Uh, some of it may be just to discredit and discount what God and how God has used you. It may also be that it proves that God is real and true because people know that you couldn't go out and do the things you do without God helping you. So it shows and proves that God is in your life. There's always going to be those that want to come and cut you down. Now, this is what we find. People are going to continue to undermine and challenge and try to destroy everything that God has used you to do. Um, And we see it over and over again. We find it in Jesus' life. Jesus said, don't think that they hate you, they hate me in you. So always remember that because he tells us here. Let's just look at this together. Verse 18 of chapter 12 of Mark. Then some of the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, just to let you know, there was two primary religious sects in Jesus' day. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. The Pharisees pretty much believe in the law of Moses and all those things. And by meticulously keeping the law in some way, this would allow you to have your sins forgiven. Now, they would they would um, uh, try to follow the letter of the law, but the problem is... They were into religion and they forgot the author. They, they, they knew the, the word, you might say, but they didn't know the author anymore. Now, on the other hand, the Sadducees were another group of people that believed they were the deists of the day, you might say. And they simply believed that the Bible was a very good way to live. But when you're dead, you're dead. And so there was really not too much to get on about after this life because there wasn't an after this life. It was just a good moral set of principles and guidelines in which to live by. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were those people that were, you might say, representing lifestyle to people. Well, it says then some of the Sadducees, not all of them, but some of them, came to Jesus and said, who say that there's no resurrection. By the way, that's why they were sad, you see. I know that's corny. But it helps you remember which group is which. Okay, they didn't believe in life after death. So again, just a good set of moral principles to live by. They came to Jesus and asked him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, first took a wife and dying, left no offspring. The second took her and died and didn't leave any offspring. And the third did likewise. And so the seven had her and left her no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Now this woman probably was the world's worst cook. I don't know how she was able to kill off all these brothers. But she evidently had something going on here. 
You know, you've, you've, you've saw the movie, you know, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. This is One Bride for Seven Brothers. This is a whole new movie series. Think about it. Anyway, we don't know what she was doing. And of course, it was just a story that they were giving. Now, the reason why they were doing this is they were trying to, because the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. And so by the very nature of their question shows that it was, you might say, a trick question. Uh, Jesus, already knowing their thoughts, already knowing that they weren't Pharisees, knowing that they were Sadducees, and then coming and asking a question about a woman who had married seven brothers, and eventually she died as well. And then here's the question. Therefore, in the resurrection, verse 23, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had had her. Now, by the very nature of their belief system, they didn't believe in life after death. So by asking this question, there was something that they were up to. What was it that they were up to? I I believe, as you would look at this up close, it's simply to show the ludicrousy in their own minds of life after death. I mean, after all, here this woman married seven guys. They all died. In heaven, whose wife will she be? Jesus, doesn't that show you how stupid to believe life after death is? Well, you know... Again, that perspective, if the only perspective you have of life is your own, you're in trouble. That's why I, I thank God for Sunday morning and Wednesday night and any other time we get together and read the Bible together as a group, or you individually read the Bible as well, that it challenges a lot of times our own thinking about particular matters of life. In other words, the only opinion that matters is mine. Well, the only opinion that mattered to the Sadducees was their own And even in their question showed their own fatal flaw that by asking the question concerning the resurrection when they didn't believe in the resurrection demonstrated it was a trick question. And by the way, I do believe that when you know the Bible, it heightens your ability to understand people where they come from so that you'll be able to communicate with them properly, wisely and with boldness, friends. Sometimes people need that and they need to be told when they're out of line that they're out of line. And certainly here we find that Jesus did that. So Jesus answered and said to them, and and now let me ask you a question real fast. Sometimes I like to find myself in the Bible when I read. If this would have happened to you, if this would have happened to you, and friends, it did and has in times past happened to me. I remember some people came to my door looking through the screen door, and they began to share with me from uh, the Bible and began to twist Scripture all around, trying to show me that Jesus was Michael the Archangel or something else. And you know what? I couldn't answer right. I, I couldn't defend myself. I knew what I believed, but I didn't know how to prove what I believed. And so I, I, I really want to encourage you. Make it part of your agenda to know God, to know His Word, because it will protect you. Notice, if it was, if verse 24 was asked to us, let's say some people came up and said this to us, and Mike answered and said unto them, I haven't got a clue. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to not be able to defend yourself. You know, the Bible says, study to show yourself a a workman uh, uh, approved unto God, not to be ashamed. Now, uh, what, the, what the ashamed part where that comes in is that you can't defend yourself and you're embarrassed. And when you're embarrassed because you can't make a defense for your faith, uh, you, you, it's, it's, it's where it appears that they win. Or they walk away and say, hey, we stumped a real child of God. So, notice though, Jesus didn't say that. Verse 24. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Or in you, in some of the old King James, it says, You do err not knowing the scriptures. Nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels in heaven. Interesting. Here Jesus addresses a couple issues. First one is, you err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. See, the only power that they recognized was the power within themselves. So Jesus here is saying, look, first of all, there's another perspective of all this than your own. And you err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say about this? Well, we'll get into this in just a minute. Because Jesus now brings them to proof in the text where they have erred in what they're saying. Now, this is important because, again, this is defense for your faith. Uh, I don't like to just say, hey, you know, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. And when we get to heaven, we'll see who makes it. That's kind of a poor way of addressing anything. Because I don't believe truth is hard to find. Notice again, he says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels in heaven. You see, uh, he said they neither marry nor given in marriage. How many people have come to your door? And knocked on your door and said, you can be sealed for time and eternity if you're sealed in our temple. Be married forever. They're in direct conflict with what the Bible here says. Something you have to remember is every one of these people that Jesus uh, was posed to in this scenario were married. The first guy had her, the second guy had her, the third guy had her, clear up to the seventh. They were all legally married, but in heaven, whose wife will she be? Number one or number seven or somebody in between that treated her better? Jesus said, you err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. They're neither marrying nor given in marriage. Now, for some of you, I know that's going to be a tremendous relief. (laughs) This is a true story. Girl, lady comes to our church. She said, um, and, and, and she's had a rough marriage. She's married to a non-believer. And um, these people came to her door, knocked on her door. They came, she invited them in. She, they, they looked at her, very nice dressed gentleman, saying, it's only in our church can you be sealed for time and eternity. And it's only in our church will you go into the third heaven. And they, they started, and she looked at them and she says, get out of here right now. I don't ever want to see you guys again. And they said, we didn't mean to offend you. What did we say? She says, just get out of here. Well, what did we say to you? How did we offend you? She says, I spent 20 years with this jerk. I'm not spending eternity with him. (laughs) True story. It says they're married. But in heaven, they're not. Now, friends, that... Uh, tells you a couple of things. One, we have to go back originally, because a lot of people say, and I've actually had people say, oh, Lord, don't come back till I get married. And I have all the married people say, Lord, please come back now. You know, so you get the, both sides of the spectrum. But, but the thing is, the reason we get married in the first place, if, if you go back to Genesis, the Bible says that woman was taken out of man. So everything that really man isn't is found in the woman, or at least should be, in the same way other way around. And so that way, the two, the Bible says, become one flesh or complete in themselves to, as a unit, you might say. But what's interesting is our, in our eternal relationship with God in heaven forever, we are complete in him. In other words, your completeness does not rest in some other individual. Your completeness rests in God. And the Bible says that we are married to Christ throughout eternity. 
Now that is the only marriage that we find in heaven the Bible refers to us as his bride. Now, I, I like that because that tells us that we then become actually an integral part of, of God's eternal kingdom. And I, I think that's neat, friends. But as far as us being married on this earth and being married in heaven, the Bible, Jesus here says, it isn't going to be happening. Notice he also says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor give in marriage, but are as the angels in heaven. Now, this to me is also interesting because angels are not married either. And uh, this creates a lot of other issues because Jesus said, you err not knowing the scriptures, because if you understood this, you would know that angels don't marry any more than people do in heaven. Um, this is why I, I have trouble in Genesis chapter 6 with people saying that, well, the angels cohabitated with man. Why would God build angels with parts that are never to be used? But they're as the angels are, Jesus said here. So I, I just think there's some comforting things here that we can, we can look at um, intellectually as well as spiritually and come to some pretty strong conclusions, what Jesus is saying here, concerning our life in the eternal. Now, there's a lot of different ideas concerning life in the eternal. You watch these different uh, TV shows or programs or whatever that some way portray... Um, you know, what it's like going to be in heaven. Well, you better go back and get a good heavy dose of what the Bible says heaven is. You can find that in Isaiah 6, Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and it gives you a pretty good idea what you can expect when you go to heaven. Rather than sitting around on a cloud eating angel food cake or, or um, you know, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a, you know, some other thing, the Bible tells us that we'll be worshiping and glorifying God forever. Now, something to remember is this. A lot of people who, who don't want to be in the presence of God, don't want to worship the Lord, it'd be hell to them. Because, again, friends, what is heaven? The Bible tells us what heaven is. We're not going to go to a heaven of our own thinking or of our own mind. A lot of people think that. You'll ask the average person on the street, go to the mall if you don't believe me. It's kind of a good, um, good lure in Dad's old tackle box to catch fish. Jesus said to Peter, from now on, you're going to be catching fish. But walk up to somebody and say, do you want to go to heaven? And they'll all say yes. And the reason why is because they have an idea of heaven in their own mind, what it is. But when we go back and we correct what heaven is from the biblical standpoint, they may not want to go there. You see, you can't, sometimes people say, well, I'd go to church and be around all those religious people. Well, what do you think heaven is? Do you think heaven is just defined by your own mind? Or is it that a place where God is worshipped forever? Well, I don't want to go to church because I'm God, they'll tell you. Oh yeah, well, you're going to run into an issue when you die and stand before the Lord. So the Bible tells us we must be born again. And again, those, the way we define life our own way, the purposes that we have set forth in our life, that's what the Bible says sin is, and that's what separates us from God. That's what Jesus came to redeem us from, is our own attempt to define our life. God forgives us for that. And the Bible says that we acknowledge Him as Lord, and then we follow Him, and then we have an eternal purpose for our life, rather than a meaningless, short-lived experience on this earth in which we will be punished for forever because we rejected him. Well, people say, well, I don't happen to like that. Well, that doesn't change the fact. You might not think that driving into a brick wall at 100 miles an hour in your car is going to hurt you. That doesn't change the fact of the matter. See, the Bible talks about this spiritual aspect of life that a lot of people know is there, but they can't define it. You'll even talk to spiritualists or, or uh, people in the occult. They know it's there. 
They're skewed in their understanding of it, but they're aware of it. Most people in America, according to the polls, believe that there is more to life than meets the eye, that there is a spiritual aspect that's out there. But when it's open for private interpretation, you can believe anything, you can believe wrong and die. Well, the Bible here tells us Jesus refers them back, and he says, you do err not knowing the Scriptures. Friends, we don't want to err in making a defense for our faith or why we believe what we believe. You can't go to somebody and say, well, I believe that because that's what Pastor Mike believes, or I believe that because that's what my church believes. You need to say, I believe this because this is the conclusions that I came from, from looking at the Bible on all the subjects that the Bible speaks about concerning this topic. In other words, if you're going to look... see. This is how the cults get away with it. They come to your door, knock, knock, open the door. Do you know that Jesus was a great teacher? Uh, okay, yeah, I believe that. And he was a great man. And let me show you all the verses that show you what kind of a great man he was. And they'll go through and show you all the verses that speak of Jesus' humanity. They very cleverly leave out all the verses that speak of his deity. And so they lead the person on into the wrong understanding and the concept of who God is. And they get away with it because most people don't know their Bible. But if you know your Bible, oh, you can have some fun. Because it's really fun to challenge them. And when you do that, then all of a sudden, they do not have their thing. Now, most of the people don't understand how a lot of times they do this. They, they have a, a little set thing. It's called a flow chart. Most of you saw that, you know, when you were playing volleyball and baseball. And when this team defeats this team, then you play the next team on the list. And then that one, and then it slowly works down. Well, they, they do the same thing when they come to your door. And what they do is they'll say, um, isn't it a wonderful day? And, and, if they, and if they say, yes, it's a wonderful day, then you then ask this question. If they say, no, it's a terrible day, well, now they're opening up to you and you ask this question. And they begin, do, well, do you believe the Bible is true? Yes, I believe the Bible is true. Okay, then you go this way. This is the way they do it. See, and they come to you. Well, what's really fun is when you know your Bible and you start asking them questions out of sequential order of their flow chart. They start going, dar, 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 and, and they just kind of just blow up. It's really kind of interesting. Because what they have is a pattern, what you have is a living relationship with God. Big difference. You see, and truth is our weapon, friends. The Bible says that in Him, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when you have that truth equipped in your heart, you can meet the battles whether they are in just daily life or people challenging your faith or people challenging who you are as a person or whatever it might be, you'll be able to meet that challenge because you've armed yourself with God's word. Now, it's important that you read. Now, I, I think Christian radio is a wonderful thing. I think uh, CSN is a wonderful thing. And that's, and that's good. And, and as much as you can listen to it, it's going to give you a good foundation. But you also need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And, and so I pray that sometimes when we're in church on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, that you make little footnotes in your Bible so you can defend your faith, how important it is. Jesus said here, you err not knowing the scriptures. They're neither marriage nor given in marriage, but as the angels are. So when somebody knocks on your door and says, you can be married in heaven, you immediately can go to this verse and say, I know you're not telling me the truth. Now, if you're not telling me the truth on this issue, how much more are you not telling me truth on other issues? Because I find one thing, and we know this, if a person will lie about one thing, they'll lie about a lot of things. <laughs> now, they may just be repeating what they heard somebody else say. Because they may have never been challenged with the truth. Friends, this is where your testimony comes in. Because as people come knock on your door, so to speak, 
spreading the good news, they might in fact be spreading a lie. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226, and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time for more It's Time.